0: better to have a short life that is full of what you like doing than a long life spent in a miserable way.
1: Welcome to Fabian Lewis, welcome to Footwork.
0: Thank you, thank you. Sure, for with me. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Absolutely. I mean, before we get started, I have to uh, send my appreciation to you for helping my career get started uh, between my cousin and yourself. You kind of Got the ball rolling. Obviously, Mongolia is uh, was never what I expected, but it was a great opportunity. And and like I said, got the ball rolling. So thank you for that.
0: No, thank you. I mean, you have to still be willing to take a dive into into something that you you have no idea about if you really want to play. And you had that uh, willingness, so I have no surprise that you you are where you are right now. So keep on pushing, keep on playing as long as you can.
1: Appreciate that. And, yeah. and you also had the uh, similar experiences throughout your career with traveling the world. Um, but let's start out with, uh, where you grew up and, uh, where you were born.
0: All right. I was born in, uh, Trinidad, um, San Francisco, Trinidad, lived in the Southern part, um, grew up playing soccer pretty much in my, in my village and, um, eventually grew to love the game and, uh, Pretty much, knocked my dad to sign me up to play with the local team. So started off playing with um, a team called Forest about <clears throat> Then went to, um, I'm sorry, a team called um, Arvin Cornell Coaching School in Suparia. And then um, when they dissolved, went local, which was literally five minutes from my house, ten minutes from my house. A team called Forest about and that's pretty much where I was formed. Um, as I grew older, of course, I grew to love the game more and more. Started to watch soccer more and more. During that time, there were so many players that I was playing internationally that you would look up to, um, namely Dwight York, who at the time was probably the best striker in the world, one of the best strikers in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, then you had Russell Latapi, who was, at that time, one of the best midfielders in the world. And then, of course, you had Chaka Insulap, who was um, you know, playing in the EPL, um, so with all these players who played at a high level, you know, you thinking, okay, they came from the same place. I came from Trinidad. Um, there must be something that I can do to, to get to that level. So started venturing out, um, went to Palo Seco, um, football club, which was one of the stronger clubs in the Southern region and, and by extension the country. And, um, I was had the privilege to, to work with um, Coach Brian Williams, who at the time had had a had, uh, just finished playing with the with the um, strike squad, which was a team that almost made it to the World Cup in 1989, and 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 got um, kicked out one zero in the 89 minute 87 minute by the USA. Okay. Um, so um, after that. Went on to play for W Connection, um, which was pretty much the whole Echo team that um, came over with the coach, Brown Williams, and um, just happened to play together for, I think, one or two years, won the national title. And that that's kind of where, you know, opportunities start start um, knocking. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, got... Um, Got the opportunity to, to move on to, to play at a college level afterwards, and after that, it was it was um, pretty much adventure.
1: Yeah. So was was the goal? Uh, like you said, you saw these, like Dwight York and all these players playing professional. Did you have that thought of playing professional from this from a very early age?
0: Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you when, when you when you live on an island where And I I grew up in the countryside of the island. In the city part, there's a lot to do. Um, Restaurants, spas, uh, malls. I grew up in the countryside. So, in the countryside, all you see is uh, kids playing. Because there's no, like, like, uh, there's not much social life. Mm -hmm. Besides schools, you know, um, you're not going to see much nice restaurants and and, and a Starbucks and and a big malls, you know. You walk a couple hundred yards and there's kids playing. in, in We call it a, par- a savanna, which is a park. There's kids playing a park. You just join them and play. Suddenly so you play for like four or five hours. You don't even know that you you missed a lunch or you missed dinner. You just playing and playing and playing. So when when you grow up in a in the country part of the island where all you, all you see is soccer. You go home on TV, you know, there, there's no cable. There's um there's local TV. And, you know, everybody goes by a friend. Um, and it's, this was this back then. I mean, things have changed drastically now. But back then, you go by a friend's house um, or you just watch the game on TV. And that's all you're, you're watching. You're watching football on TV. And then you go in and play, you go in and play. So when, you go, when you go to school, you play. So it was a lot of self-taught. Um, there wasn't much like clubs, like over here, where I'm at. There's a club every five mile radius. And there's coaches from all around the world who played, helping these kids. Back back when I grew up, it was more you playing than teaching yourself. Um, so reps is coming from, from playing on the streets, uh, playing with your friends in school playing in the park and you know everybody wanted to be something in the game because that was a love and joy. I mean, that's just what, it, that was the thing to do. That was the thing to do.
1: Right. So, so yeah. So, so did you, uh, I mean, you, you then went to, and played in college in the U S was that, did you feel that that was the road to playing professional or, or what was no, your no, no, decision no. with that?
0: No, I didn't. Um, at the time, um, you know, I was just thinking about playing professionally, and um, you know, as I, again, I look at right you at the highest level, Manchester United, and you say, "Man, this is the, the the peak. This is the highest point. I mean, it doesn't get much bigger than Manchester United." And um, you're thinking, "Okay, that, that's where that's where I want to be. Um, I wanted to play. I had dreams of playing in a World Cup too." To, to, uh, and it's this is. A true story, but a really well story. I created an email address when I was um about 16 years old. And the email address was stalwart5__2006 at yahoo.com. I still use the email. And and that email was derived by a couple of things. I wanted to play, this is really, really uh, mind-blowing. I wanted to play in the 2006 World Cup. At the time, I was 16 years old. Um, I was thinking, okay, um, when I get to 21, 22, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll be playing at a at a decent level um, by 24, 25. I should be at, at the peak of my career. And I think around that time, it would have been 2006. And, and, and so I was, I was envisioning, at, at the peak of my career, I'd be playing in a World Cup for Tobago. The word stalwart came from me being a defender, like a stalwart, like uh, mm-hmm. the last man, the, uh, the, 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 the general, the, the guy that holds it together. Mm-hmm. Number five was my favorite number. Underscore 2006 was the year of the World Cup that I wanted to play in. It so happened I trying to be able qualified for that World Cup. Um, at the time, unfortunately, I was not in a good position to play in that World Cup. But around mm-hmm. the age to play in that World Cup. But the guys that played in that World Cup was all playing at a very high level. Um, and I wasn't. So um, it was just visions that I had from a young age wanting to play um, football um, for the rest of my life. And um, everything I did was just surrounded around that email address. Um, I still have clips, T-shirts from when I was 17, 18 years old. Um, autographs that I would always open and, and watch and say one day uh, this is where I'll be. So it, I never saw the college route being a, a route to the pros. Um, I always thought that, you know, always vision, always dreamt about me. Just going straight to the to the professional level. And that's and that, that's what I that's what I was dreaming about right. doing.
2: Yeah. And how was how was how were you able to, was it difficult to adapt after kind of putting it out there that the your route would be this way? And then it mm-hmm. kind of changes and becomes something else. And I mean, ultimately you're in you're in Buffalo, New York, of all places, very different from Trinidad. So how were you able to adapt and 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 kind of come through in that?
0: Yeah, everyone always tells, tells me, even to this day, that, that you're crazy for going to Buffalo. Um, <laughs> it was a big adjustment. Um, obviously, I went from one extremity where it was very hot to the other extremity where it was, it was very cold and we had uh, blizzards and, and uh, snowstorms and 6 foot of uh, snow. Unfortunately, uh, I, I didn't really live through any one of those as far as the weather goes. But adjusting to the weather was was um, at first difficult, but then I grew to kind of like it. And then I grew to kind of hate it again. So um, it was, you um, know, obviously uh, wearing our gloves. Again, these were the small details that was kind of visionary. You know, wearing our gloves, um, long sleeve t shirts. I mean, we never had to do that in Trinidad. Huh? You know, you, you look on TV watching Dwight York play. Watching Russell Atepi play, watching all these, you know, um, stopped-up players uh, play play at the, the highest level, and you see them with gloves, with long sleeves, um, with Under Armour, and when they when they when they resting on the field, you see a uh, frost coming through their mouth, and uh, Buffalo <laughs> Buffalo actually brought those things up huh? because um training was always very cold and raining. I was always had to wear Under Armour with a windbreaker and a gloves. So in some ways, um, it kind of reminded me of of what I saw on TV growing up as a young kid, mm-hmm. right? Um, but the early stages was was difficult to adjust, you know, like, I mean, having foot warmers for, for, for practice because, I mean, running, not, all, not every time would keep your foot warm. Sometimes it'd, it'd be freezing temperatures, but we had no other choice. Yeah. We had no other choice. We didn't have an indoor do- um, indoor dome. We we had to go outdoors and practice. Um, but that part of the of the of the the experience made me really put things in perspective. Like this is what you really want to do, and mm-hmm. and it was yes, this is what I want to do. So uh, I was forced to do it, um, and I just walked away with the punches. I was the only. Um, Caribbean player on the team at the time. Um, there were some other guys some from Toronto that had um, a Caribbean background by the time I was the only guy from from the Caribbean. Um, so, you know, it was in many ways very very um, lonely mm-hmm. because um, the things that I could not relate to the guys that were from the Toronto area, which is also very cool, or Buffalo area, Western New York area, It's very cool. The lifestyle, they can relate to it, but I, but I couldn't. But again, as I said, like um, uh, uh, this experience put a lot of things in, in perspective for me. Excuse me, and I had to determine if this is what I wanted to do, and the answer was was still yes. So it took me like a year. Um, I adjusted really quickly. And then I grew to like. I grew to like it. I used to come outside and play in the snow, um, have snowball fights. Um, but then it was after so much snow. After I like, went into my junior year, um, there was so much snow, and you know it became all slushy and and then nasty because so many cars are driving over it. And you know that's when I got really. Awkward. I had enough time for time for the spring, but. Yeah, I agree I to like it. I agree to like it. I could enjoy it and accept it and, um, and rock with it. So I enjoyed my time, my experience at Canisius. So it was a learning experience for me. Um, I'm very thankful for the opportunity because it helped me to, to open up my eyes. It was it was a culture shock at first, again, on multiple levels. Um, but um, that's part of the journey of wanting to, wanting to play Professionally, because sometimes you can play professionally locally, um, but there's not as many teams as there are players. And sometimes you might have to go looking for opportunities. So, gaining cultural experience through, through playing in college for me was um, was an eye opener. Mm-hmm. And it was something that I, I took with me for the rest of my career that it, might, it, it can be any type of um, extremity. Uh, but if you really want to do it, and that's what you're really after, um, then th- th- the mission is to play, to play football, to play soccer, and everything else comes after. So mm-hmm. I would always take the mission first and then think about the um, non-negotiables afterwards.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so for the, the football side of it, how difficult was that transition between Canisius and then George Mason? Um, did you find it was quite difficult than what you were used to growing up in academies and, and coaching-wise and things like this?
0: Not really. Um, what I thought was different was, you know, some, some of the attention to details. Um, when I grew up uh, playing, we we never had um, that much uh, video analysis. Mm-hmm. And I also think it had to do with a generational thing. I think... Um, I was during a period of transitioning from real old school, where the coaches was old school, the, the maybe the, um, the, the the teaching or the, the the lesson plan was really old school, to where it was becoming more and more scientific. So I was actually like in that like my period of growth was kind of in that transition. So um, one of the things that I I thought was was different was the the amount of video analysis that that we did Um, especially at George Mason Um, at Canisius not so much but um, if I was to be quite quite honest with you um, Canisius obviously had an unfortunate run of form in terms of win streaks Um, but there were some good players there were some very good players on the team and um, We played against some good competitive games as well. Um, When I went to to George Mason, it was the same. Um, There were some good players, and we also played against some some very good opponents. Um, Obviously, um, George Mason had the opportunity to have better facilities. I mean, we had multiple fields. We had an indoor indoor, um, uh, center, where we can play um, indoor on a hard court or futsal. Um, there was a gym. Everything was kind of indoor. Um, and so some of our training would be there. We had a Mondo track. Um, you know, there's there's more facilities. There was a Bermuda grass field. I think there was three or four. Now I think they have like seven or eight. Um, so the, 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 the difference really was in the facilities, um, the attention to the details in, in, in a, from a visual aspect watching watching over games um, seeing what's, what was good what was bad um, but in terms of the quality of the players um, the level of play there was a lot of similarities um, two good coaches um, but you know now that I'm, I'm finished my college career and looking back personally I, I feel like you know, Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, junior colleges. I personally feel it's overrated because I've I was able to play with a lot of players overseas that came from um, from different college backgrounds and were very good players. And I saw it also when I was in Canisius and went to George Mason. There were some very good players in both in both um. With both, with both universities, um, so adjusting wasn't um, wasn't uh, at all difficult for me. Um, I I embraced the the experience at at George Mason. Um, I came in as as one of the more experienced players, um, so I, my role was to kind of lead, help to lead the team to a championship. When I met with George, with um with Greg and Judas at the time, I flew from Buffalo, New York, and we met. And he told, me, you know, we had a chat at uh, a restaurant. He he told me what what he had what my intentions was for the team, what he had intended me to to bring to the team, and what he was ex- expecting, what he was looking forward to. So I knew coming in, I was coming in to to help the team win a championship. And I had a, a pivotal role to play in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was no I it was not any, I didn't feel any pressure. Nothing that I was not used to. Because I was I was always used to that growing up in Trinidad. Um, I mean high school high school soccer in Trinidad is probably bigger than than college, college football over here in terms of the the fan base and, and the pressure and the support. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it was much difficult mm-hmm. uh, playing on the youth national team um, in, in World Cup qualifiers in front of thirty five thousand fans, uh, you know, in different countries. So the pressure wasn't. I, I didn't feel like pressure, mm-hmm. um, but but I, I, I embraced the, the 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 opportunity, and I respected his um, his request and what he expected, and it was just part it was just part to deliver, um, and. We fell short of, we fell short two times, um, one in the in the conference play, in the finals, and then um, in the NCAA tournament. But um, needless to say, I think that was the second year with the, with, with the university, and that was a, a major step forward. That was the first time in um, since in the nineties, I believe, that the school had. Um, had that, that type of run, I made it to NCAA tournament. So that was the beginning. Once again, that was the beginning for um, a lot of big things for the university. They went mm-hmm. on when I left. They went on afterwards to eventually win the the conference and made several other um, NCAA appearances.
1: So how did you um, so? Post graduation, um, you signed with uh, Western Mass Pioneers, who were playing in the USL Second Division, the third tier at the time. How was the transition from college soccer to is it professional? This league, it's more probably a semi-professional at the time. Um, how was that transition?
0: Uh, it was. It wasn't difficult. Um, so I actually. Um, so when I finished playing, Coach Greg and Julius, speak. You know, he he pulled me in the office. And um, before actually before I playing, before I ended my career and he told me that there's a couple of MLS clubs that are looking at you. One of them was Real Salt Lake. Okay. Um and um, I of, of course was really excited, started so to look up um, look up real salt lake and you know, try to see who would who would be the guy that I was going to eventually replace at the time it was Eddie Pope, um, wow. and I was always thinking, "Oh man, I'll get to play against, play with Eddie Pope." So I was uh, really excited about that. Um, unfortunately, things things didn't go well, on a number on a number of reasons. At the time, I believe they had they had they were looking at multiple players that were below the age of twenty three. Um that was also local. I guess it was like a home home homegrown player. And um of course they had to make a decision based on their budget. Uh and eventually going with a with a younger player who was playing at the time with um I believe one of the biggest biggest um conferences. I forgot who I forgot who it was. And then he then he pulled me in the office. Um Post-season. And he said, listen, there's a couple of USL teams that are that are asking for you. Um, and two of them want you to come into preseason. One of them going to sign you directly. Um, North Carolina, Richmond Kickers, they wanted me to come into preseason. Um, Western Mass Pirates, they're going to sign you directly. They saw you play in the um, C8 tournament finals and um, they, they're going to sign you directly so it's okay um, he said you know you have to decide right now you can you can decide what you want to do and then kind of go from there a couple days after then um, Harrisburg City Islanders came, came called him as well he reached back out again he said okay now Harrisburg is in the, is in the mix so he um, I ended up going to um, Richmond. Um, I was there for a couple of days. Um, They wanted to sign me and offered me a contract. And I eventually declined. Uh, Wasn't really happy with the terms of the contract. Um, I went to Harrisburg under information that it was a very well-run franchise. Um, the coach at the time was Coach Bell. Um, went over there, was there for a couple of days as well. And once again, they offered me a contract that I I couldn't pretty much live on. Um, the contract back back then was was not what it is now. Back then, you know, you would have some guys making like a thousand bucks a month, eight hundred bucks a month. Some guys were on per game contracts, um, so you, you know you really had to to play really well in training to have an opportunity to, to play mm-hmm. on a weekend to get, to get paid. Um, and then there was one or two players on every team that would be earning like, you know, $3,000, $4,000. But that was like one or two players on every team. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, those were season players. So, um, after Harrisburg offered the contract and I declined it was kind of bad, but how I declined was very, was not good. I, I pretty much told them, I said I was, I'll get back to them and then just left. And next thing they heard I, that I was uh, signed with Western Mass. <laughs> so that was the experience for me that I took away that I knew it was very unprofessional. And I vowed that I should never do it again. Um, so when I went to Western Mass, um, went to the team, signed the contract upon arrival and um, they started playing the, the level definitely um, was different um, but in a way that um, I wouldn't say was was much different from from um, college soccer College soccer in my opinion was a bit a bit uh, more win result. Mm-hmm. Like you had to you had to win um by any means necessary. Right? And you had the you had the buzzer beater, like the, the countdown to the games, and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you know, you, everybody's everyone is panicking, one ball through, or one ball over the top, and then it's flying on, and guys are panicking, and all of a sudden, boom, goal. Um, you know, and that was the excitement that kind of soccer. And there were some teams I would, would play pretty good soccer as well. Or at least try to play, you know, by keeping the ball and ground moving, rotating um, with a game plan, um, and that—that's that, what was different with the with the with the teams in the USL. Um, you know, they would you would not see you would see a team wanting to win, but not by all costs. They they would try to win. There, there will be a plan to win, um, and mo- most of the times, teams will stick to the game plan. Um, in the college arena, sometimes you can go out to the game plan to win. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the difference for me. Right. Um, While it's one of them, the players obviously was more experienced, so there wasn't much rush to do things. Mm-hmm. you know um, there was a guy that, that still plays right now um, his name is Emerson he actually plays on the Futsal national team for the US national team mm. he's a captain and uh, Emerson um, he was a midfielder Emerson easily could play MLS eyes close, but he but he chose to play with Western Mass because he was close to home he had a he had a, um, a kid he was married and um, he, he really wanted just to be to be a local boy um, but you know him he was one of the players that really um, would would show me like the importance of just wherever we do we stick with the game plan
1: mm-hmm.
0: so so I would never try to do anything else but just stick to the game plan and it was just I felt a, a level of freedom and and um just express myself um, even better. So that was another difference with playing in college and playing in the USL. Um, you know, you had players that was seasoned players that was um, um, willing to, to risk uh, it all, to play within a game plan and not worry too much about forcing things Mm-hmm. Just to win, so when that happens, you have a level of um, you have a level of uh, cohesiveness, cohesiveness, consistency, mm-hmm. and um, obviously, um, an end result. So it was a good a good experience to me. My first um year playing with, we went we went back to play um uh, Harrisburg, we played we played Richmond. So we played Richmond, we played Harrisburg, two of the teams that I went to before. We lost, um, I think, two to one or one to zero to um, to Richmond. But I had a, I had a crazy game, I had a crazy game, um, and they called me back again <laughs> the following year <me>, um, <laughs> in the preseason. And then we played Harrisburg. And I think, we did we beat Harrisburg or did Harrisburg beat us? It was, it was our close game. But what was crazy about that year, Harrisburg went on to, I think, win the league. And they went on to the quarterfinals of the Open Cup.
1: Wow. Oh, wow. They
0: played New um, the England Revolution. The guy that replaced me as center back um, ended up signing with New England, New England Revolution. And I think he had two years or three years in on, on the on the um, in the MLS before moving back to the USL. Huh. So um, you know looking back now I didn't learn my lesson <laughs> but looking back now um, that was an uh, eye-opener um, and I, a learning experience you know that you know you have to have some struggle, but you also have to be loyal mm. in order to, to find that sweet spot, mm-hmm. which, which can be, you know, the money you're looking for, the fame you're looking for, whatever you're looking for, that sweet spot, you, you know, you you have to first have a little struggle and but be loyal to the struggle and understand that's part of it. And I think um, now I'm in a position to understand that. Um, But in my career, I I didn't really have any mentor to to, to call someone to to, to say, hey, don't do that, do this. Mm -hmm. Um, It was kind of me and me alone. I kind of paved my own way to to, to my career. I kind of did things kind of on my own. And, um, you know, that's that's something that um, I, I look back now and I'm very proud of, but of course, always willing to to learn more and to hear from guys that did it already to to help me with, right. with my um with my with my journey. So yeah that was um that was a uh, a good uh life lesson for me mm-hmm. looking back looking back but yeah. but of course um of course um through my career I I still, didn't get, I still didn't get it right away. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I want to touch on that a little bit later uh, because we had a very good conversation uh, after the first Portugal trial. Um, mm-hmm. And I learned a lot from you from, from that point. And like you said, it's learning from people that have come, gone through it already. And really anyone outside the game, it's difficult for them to understand. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, before we get into that, um, so you made the move then to Puerto Rico, which was then the first professional, full-time <clears throat> professional team. Um, yeah. now you're outside of the U.S. How, how did that come about and how was that?
0: Um, that was uh, after Western uh, after Western Mass I went back to um, as, I, as I said I, I, um, Richmond had called me back because I had a really good game against them home and away both times and um, the, the GM slash assistant coach called me back in the preseason went back um, for a couple of days there um, yeah, again, and once again offered me a contract. Didn't learn my lesson. Um, went to play with Michigan, Michigan Bucks. At the time, I was late in the game. I had missed a lot of um, teams tryout and kind um, of had to suffer for what was left. Um, and that was no disrespect to Michigan. They are a very good franchise and had very good players. But played like a half a season there. I went to Real Maryland. They started off, I think, in the in, in the USL One. Then moved to USL Two. Had some issues financially, uh, but their first year they was they were a spending spree. It was there I met um, a, a guy by the name of Ray. He was a former international for Cuba, played in the MLS as well. Good player. And he hooked me up with. Um, he was leaving to go back because he was he was doing indoor with Baltimore him a blast and sure that he had you know it was all networking. So he was he was he was uh, he was indoor during the winter and outdoor during the summer. So he, he went um he went um he came to, to Real Maryland. um played together there and he at the end of the season. He told me that, um, hey man, <clears throat> do you want to go and play in Puerto Rico? Um I know the owner of the team, he's a friend of mine's. And um they're looking for some reinforcement. They're trying to to win the league and 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 have a good run in the um the Caribbean Football Union for, uh CFU tournament, which is like the pre-qualifiers for CONCACAF Champions League. So for me, I was like, yeah, hell yeah, let's go. You know, And again, I was always seeking the the mission first. What I really wanted to do from a kid, it was to play, right? Um, So where I played wasn't really that important to me. Mm -hmm. Looking back now and advising um, players, of course, I'm in a better position to do that. But for me, it was just... Play, play and play and play. So went over to Puerto Rico, played with a team called um, Alletico de San Juan, um, and that's kind of like where I learned my Spanish. That's kind of where I learned my Spanish. Mm-hmm. I am, I'm, I'm kind of, I wouldn't say fluent, but intimate level Spanish speak, speaker. But that's where it all started. I um. I had to kind of learn on the fly. Most of the stuff I learned there was was uh, street, street Spanish, which was kind of like not so good words, and then giving information in Spanish.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, I, I, like, so, I, you know, the only guy that spoke English with it was the guy on, uh, who brought who me there. And And funny enough, he learned Spanish. He learned English in, in the U.S. because he never spoke English in, before I, as well. He came straight from Cuba off the boat. Um, so he was the one kind of helped me learn learn Spanish. And then I, I think to, to love it and eventually went to school and blah blah. But but playing in Puerto Rico was, was fun. And it's only when you go to countries then you realize that there's good players everywhere. It's only when you start traveling and realizing, like, hold on, this is the second division or this third division. But there's so much good players, but there's not enough top leagues. So you, so you, you have to end up playing second, third, fourth division. But there will be very good players playing those leagues as well, and there will also be very good coaches because there's only one one coach with that backroom staff, and there's many coaches wanting to coach professionally. So, I mean, looking back now. I mean, and being able to travel, the would. Then I was able to pull out things into perspective and really analyze things from a grown-up level. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, Rio was one of several very good players in the team. Um, but there were there were other Cuban internationals, um, players that were had just finished playing with the Honduras national team, players that were playing with. Uh, in the Brazilian first-tier f- football. The coach was um, a coach from Brazil as well. So, you know, you, you, were, you were in a dressing room with players that, that can play soccer, that can play football. And then you go to play, you know, against teams like um, Bayamon, River Plate. River Plate was all Argentines, some mm. of which had played, who were retired players, who were playing first and second division in Argentina. Um, that, you know, were older guys. And of course, just wanted a new adventure. Mm-hmm. And you know that that team had, was, was filled with with a bunch of Argentines, Argentine players who had played first, second um division for many years. So um, it was an eye-opener for me. Because then you got to see different styles, but you then get to be like, hold on. This is crazy that you know there's players, you look at this play like this player can play over here, I close this back and play over here, no problem. And that's what kind of made me want, I maybe be willing to travel the world because I got to realize that soccer was not only in your circle, um, soccer was a universal, a universal um, sport and there were so many other countries that played it that I didn't know about. I only knew about what I saw on TV and the players just saw on TV. But um, I think that was the beginning of wanting to make me want to travel the world and see more of um, of what football I had to offer. Mm.
2: And you mentioned it, it was just um, a few moments ago that everything is just networking. Yes, so taking yes. an opportunity like Puerto Rico and then you go mm-hmm. across the world into yep. Singapore. Um, like what are some of the things that you would say are important for players to do, to have good networking, to have good networks, and to kind of do these things successfully?
0: For sure, for sure. Well, I'll make one step back. Well, I had an agent before, right? And I'm saying this because a lot of players, um, sometimes, they're scared, right? They're not willing to take a risk. They're not willing to take a chance. Maybe... They had they heard about bad stories or maybe they just they're just not willing to invest in themselves on, a, on a, a financial level on a physical level um, but I had an agent before right and he was a very good agent in fact more of a friend his name was Farouk Farishi and um, he was someone he was the first, in fact he was the first person that told me about Singapore right before before the league actually. Um, I, to the point where I knew more about it um, mm-hmm. but you know he was the one kind of helping me um, and guiding me and things like that now having an agent is a good thing because only if you have a good agent and I, and I was lucky to have a good agent Farouk was, was a good agent but um, there's also not not so good agents right but having an agent is one thing but you sometimes close the door to everything else mm-hmm. because you you depend on the agent to do everything for you. But when you travel and you sit down and you talk, you had lunch or dinner with someone that um, has the same aspirations that you that, that, like you have. Then you start realizing, hold on, there's something on here there's something cooking, and they start talking like, oh, you know, I have I have this friend I played with, he's over here. Um, oh, I, I know this coach that I had over here, and he's telling me, you know, about this league and that league. And then you suddenly start, um, you know, making phone calls, uh, writing emails, exchanging phone numbers, and then your network starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, I always recommend the players... So when you're networking, to always try to network with players that have the same type of personality or a similar personality and a similar mentality and a similar drive like yourself. Because there's different types of people that can direct you different directions. There's ones that I would consider like myself, who will be willing to jump on a plane and take money out of your own pocket to do it. Because you know that nobody else knows who who you is. Soccer is bigger than who you think you are. The game is way bigger than yourself. There's top players at top leagues that even being there, there's people that are bigger than them. So nobody knows who who you is. So in order for you to to be known, you have to, to get in front of people and get the attention. And the guys that I was networking with had that type of mentality and drive. And those are the guys I stay close to. Right? Because I realized that it was a good energy. Um, there's other players and, 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 and people that you can network with that might be not so driven. I might be looking for shortcuts and um, it might take you a longer time to come around. You might be really scared to do things that you you should be doing. And um, there's a saying that someone once told me and it was from Trinidad someone once told me that um, it was after practice or during our practice. And I think it was some high school coach, I could be wrong, but um, he said, um, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember the training session was hard. I mean, we used to train two, two and a half hours, sometimes before games. Right. Um, So right there, and then I understood what he was trying to say. Um, and then when I when I did a lot of things in my later career, I would always remember that quote. And I would always think to myself, like you're talking about you want to do this, I want to do that, but nobody knows who he is. He was nobody, you know, um, in order for you to people to know who he is, you gotta you gotta get out there and and take a chance, man. So Networking is all about connecting with the people that have a similar interest and 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 energy that that you have aspirations that you have. Don't network with people that that are not thinking big. Don't network with people that that looking for shortcuts and always have a negative energy. Oh, don't man, don't talk to that guy. You heard what those guys did when those guys did this, and like you gotta go out there and sit on your own and make your own decision, and then you decide if if it was good or bad. Because sometimes somebody's experience or someone else's thought process is completely different from what you want and where you want to go uh, or or what you experience on your own. So I was always the type of person that I want to have the experience of my own to make my own judgment. Um, and And because that's going to help me navigate myself to where I want to be in life as well. So... That would be my advice that I would give to younger players. Look for someone that has a similar drive, mentality, energy, like yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, don't listen to everything that you hear. Try to do things and have an experience on your own, so that can help to form who you are and where you want to go.
1: That is Gems. brilliant advice, and I can attest to that. <laughs> Thus far in my, I mean, in my life, but in my career as well, that. Uh, yeah, getting around the good, the right players. It's not necessarily the best players, but absolutely makes a huge difference on uh, really your just well being in general. Because you get around the wrong players, things can turn very, uh, very bad very quickly.
0: Absolutely, man.
1: Um, absolutely. And you mentioned before, you know, getting around uh, players like yourself or, or people like yourself who are willing to, you know, drop everything they have and get on a plane and fly to an opportunity because. The reality is nobody knows who who we are in other parts of the world. And and this was that one story you told me after uh, my little stint in Portugal about how you flew like a 24-hour flight to, I don't know if it was Singapore or Thailand or somewhere. Singapore, the Singapore, Singapore, Singapore,
0: yeah. yeah.
1: Um, could, you, could you talk about that story? Because for me, it still hasn't impacted me to this day. I've told Dylan a thousand times about it. I've told other people. And uh, yeah, when things are you know not going how I think it would be, I always think of that.
0: Yeah, man, it was it's really bad. Really it was around November, December. It was in November. I remember um, I was looking at Singapore from August because I had a friend there that um, was playing, and I remember my agent, my past agent, was telling me about Singapore, which was a couple of years before that. And I remember when I saw the pictures and I saw Singapore, so I reached out to him. And um, told him, hey, um, can I come? Can you, can you get me a Charles over there? And blah, blah. I just got my first credit card. I just got my first credit card. Um, it was $2,000 on that credit card. Right? And um, I had a lease on an apartment in Fairfax, Virginia, too, man. And the lease was going to be up the following year, in June, April, May. Yeah, end of May or June, the list was going to be up. But I wasn't thinking about that. <laughs> I was just thinking, man, I want to play. Um, so I flew in in December, but uh, November. But how it happened was really, really, it was last minute. I bought a ticket. I kid you not, maybe like it was, I, I flew on the Wednesday. I bought the ticket maybe on the Monday. So the price of the ticket was, was quite high. I think it was like maybe like, 1400 or $1,500 but there is a credit card the credit card $2,000 of course I had to go over there and um, I had to uh, get my own accommodation and stuff like that right because one thing about clubs and that's that's probably clubs around the world now unless it's a big club that have a big budget that have so much scouts that can go and say this player is the player we're looking for and the club say okay boom let's sign him or let's bring But the majority of the clubs, man, you gotta go and invest in yourself. Um, so I had to get my own air ticket. I, I had a, um, a very nice hostel on Arab Street in in uh, Singapore. I always remember that very nice area, Arab Street. Anytime you go to Singapore, make sure it was Arab Street. Um, it's called Kiwi uh, Sleepy Sleepy Kiwi or Kiwi Sleepy. Maybe they changed their name. I don't know. And uh, pretty much I had to buy my own meals and get along on my on myself. Singapore is not cheap. <laughs> Singapore yeah. is very expensive. So the um, the hostel I think was like maybe like thirty five bucks a night, right? Um, food there is not cheap. But fortunately, I was able to kind of with some locals, so I, we found our grocery store that where the locals go shopping. So you, you know, you get food kind of cheap over there. The metro is quite expensive. It's similar to over here in DC. You know, one ride is like four or five dollars. You know, um, so, so I'm I'm using my credit card and everything. Um, not knowing that obvious co- of course the credit card is working, right? But not knowing that there's fees because it, it was not an international credit card. Oh, I, no. <laughs> yeah, no, no now I know now I know about that because I have I have that because of of the line of work that I do. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was just using it, using it. But I did have some cash on me as well. I did work with some cash. I got to Singapore, and um, the, I was able to start training, I believe, the Friday. I left the Wednesday. It was a 24-hour flight. It was a long flight from JFK. I flew. Well, Where did I connect to? Oh, London. It was an early morning flight. I connected in London, British Airways. From there, I went to Singapore. I met up with a buddy of mine, some George Mason in, in, um, in, in London. We met in the airport, and we on the metro to, to discover this. But anyways, um, got to Singapore, and we didn't have practice on that Friday. It was raining, but they only have grass fields. Most of the teams over there only have grass fields. So when it's raining, like over here, some teams don't train. Um, and or they find other fields to train on. My team just didn't train. The team I went to, which was Woodlands. So Friday, no training. So what I, what I did, I, me, and, me and a couple of guys who was there trying out, we just went on our own and we just, just running, just running, looking for fields to kind of juggle or pass the ball around, do some training. Saturday, no training. Sunday, didn't have training. Monday, rain again. Tuesday, rain again. I think it was until the Wednesday, which was a week after I arrived, we finally had training. Um, When I went to the training session, um, they allowed me to train. But it was only then I realized that there was another defender that they had already signed who had played in the league previous years. So he knew the league. So... The guy that took me there, um, he went and talked to the manager and I was up in the pavilion in the stands and I was waiting for for the word, like what to do, the change. And he came back and he said, look, um, they already signed a centre-back. They're not looking for a centre-back anymore, they're looking for a striker, but they were allowed to train. I was really at that point like, are you kidding me? Like what next? But I don't know if it was my mentality, or if it was growing up in Trinidad, or what. But people, people always tell me this too. They was like, "Why are you always like? Even when things are really difficult, you always act like if you you don't care. Like it's not like I don't care. It's Like I'm in a moment of like, okay, what what to do now? But I, mm. I'm really really calm. You, I wouldn't really freak out. I'm just thinking, okay." You know what, what to do now. <laughs> I put on my, my cleats, I go down there. And um I had a really good session. But I but the session I had, I was free because they were not looking for a center back. Right. So I was just killing guys, like you know, intercepting, um, winning winning one-on-one, winning headers, breaking up plays, um, you know, making passes, driving the game forward, and and they had like three strikers. That they were looking at. So the manager ran over and told the guy, let him come back tomorrow. So the guy's like, Why? Why you want to come? He's like, no, no, let him come back tomorrow because not because we sign a, a center back doesn't mean we won't send a second center back. So when he told me that, I said, like, What? There's a chance here now. <laughs> so um roller coaster. Yeah, roller coaster. So um, I asked him, I said, "What?" He's like, well, maybe, you know, you did well. Maybe they want to sign you, blah, blah. So then they took us to this this, this big stadium. And um, we had like a scrimmage, 11 v. 11. And what they did that day, they matched me up with all the strikers that they brought in. So they put me on a team, the weaker team. And they put all the strikers that they were looking at which was one of them had already signed and they were looking for two more. One, one more. They allowed to sign four players. And um, so they had already signed three. One of them was a guy by the name of uh, Moon Soon. He was very good, very fast, lightning fast. Could strike the ball from distance anywhere, left foot, right foot, very nippy, very crafty. Like, come and check out, boom, like, like a real, num- like a like a force nine type of player. Like the kind of player like you, you don't like to mark because he's always moving. One touch, one touch, and behind. So first they match me up with him, and um, he reminded me of some ways of players. I'm trying that players I'm trying that are very athletic. So we had strikers that was like a hybrid of that. Some that can hold the ball, and some can play off the ball. So. Growing up in that. I played against a lot of players like that. But what was different with him was he his, his, his runs, his IQ was very good. So he took me for a run, man, for at least 30, 40 minutes, for all first half. But he, but he didn't score. And he, was, he would normally score. He, he, he also was a player that played in the league before and would score all the goals. So then second half, the rest of them, they brought in somebody else. Australian guy, big guy. He was a number nine, strong guy, could hold the ball up. Um, and they, they let me go at, go at him. And again, a hybrid of, of what I was used to. So um, we were battling, battling. He just couldn't get past. I, w- I was just, I realized what they were doing. And I knew right th- right away that they want to see if it's worse than a striker, or if this defender that could change our mind. Um, so I was just battling, battling. And at some point, the game was so open because there was so much other players trying out, and everybody just there was no organization. I think that's the thing about Asia that you <laughs> you would know about. It's a wild, wild western trials. Mm. Guys are guys are there for themselves, guys are not there to play as a team, to talk in, to push up together, to recover. I mean, guys will leave you out to get killed. Purposely. Purposely. They will do it purposely. So the game was wide open. The right back is all the way up. We defending the right back is all the way on the flank. I mean, the other center back is far from me because maybe he's trying to think, okay, let me see. Let me try to expose him. So it was me against the rest of the team pretty much. Like, like literally, it was me against the rest of the team. And I'm moving, running, running, running. And he couldn't get past me. They brought in the other guy. Same thing. The, the guy that they brought in second, he lasted about 15 minutes. And then they brought in the other guy who lasted about 10 minutes. And after the, before the game, before 45 minutes, they blew off the game. They blew off the game. And the manager of the team, the coach of the team, and there's somebody else, the chairman, they all came with the guy that brought me, in, and they spoke to me in a corner. And they said, we want to keep you. Mm. And I was like, wow, what? Mm. My eyes opened, I was like, "Like, because the day before they were like, we don't want to send it back. And I'm thinking, well, on the good side, I got to see Asia. I, have ne- I never thought in my life I would get to see Asia I was like, and that's how I was thinking. I was like, okay, I got, I got to see Asia. You know, that, that's a good thing. I'm safe. I arrived here safe. Um, you know, the conditions I'm, I'm staying is very nice. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll go and see the country, you know, and then maybe go back home. Then the next day, they're telling me mm. <laughs> they want they want me to stay. Mm. So um, I got into training mode right away. And um, went back home. I had to recover because it was a lot of running, and and the, the the type of grass they have over there is not they don't not all the teams have Bermuda grass. They have what we call cow grass. So it's a, the, the the mud is a bit heavier, mm-hmm. so when you sink there, it takes more out of your body to yeah. run through that grass. Same as in Trinidad, when you finish playing in them the type of grasses. It, 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 don't get me wrong, the field is flat right? The field is flat, well-maintained, everything, but the grass is heavy, the mud is heavy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I went back home and I had to um, just kind of take some time to, to recover, um, bought some ice and, um, you know, sat down on the street. I actually is very, very nice. So you sit down on the street and a chair, it's like an open place, like an open place people go, vending, restaurant, shopping, things like that. Uh, and I, I'm just icing and people walking. and I do see me icing. I was like, what's wrong with you? That's crazy. Um, but yeah, and then a couple of days after I signed, um, it took me a couple couple more sessions. Um, and then, then they brought me in and, and I signed. And that was kind of the beginning of my experience in Asia, which was, uh, it came out of nothing really.
1: Incredible. I mean, even yeah. better than I remember it. Uh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Just, I mean, uh, but
1: there's there's so many there's so many points uh, from that story. Uh, the one is always being ready, game fit, because you don't know when they're going to tell you to jump in in the ninety minutes where your team's leaving you out to dry. Um, mm-hmm. And if you weren't fit, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. There's no way you would have been able to do it.
0: Absolutely. That, that was that was a uh... okay. So when I finished playing in the U.S. I went almost a year and a quarter without a team.
2: Mm.
0: And I kid you not, there was never a day I missed training. From the moment I didn't have a contract, to the day I went to Singapore, there was never a day I missed training on my own. I still wake up every morning, sometimes at five o'clock, and get ready to start training at six. I'll be like sometimes... 8.30, uh, 9 o'clock um, and I used to go to George Mason because I know sometimes people come and use the field so I always want to get the field before. So i will go out there mad early start with, with the runs then with my agility work and then with the ball, you know, long ball triple um, running with the ball cutting, moving and it was all by myself and, and to, to what you just said like I knew I was fit I knew I was good because even on weekends I was playing in some games, um, like some local games, uh, which was decent level. Uh, but sometimes I'd play like two games in a weekend, or two games in a day. So I knew that although I wasn't playing training with a team and playing in a season, my level of fitness wasn't too far off because I was doing my own work all the time. Because I was just, I was just trying to stay ready for what. I knew at some point would have come. I didn't know when, I didn't know where, but I know I knew that I wanted to play and I was going to play somewhere. I just didn't know when and where. Mm,
2: so that's self- that self-belief.
0: Yes, 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 yes. So, you know, staying ready is a big part of, of, of being a professional and playing professional and, and on multiple levels. We're talking physically, um, you know, training, we're talking mentally. It's easy to get distracted. I came from a country where we have the biggest carnival in the world. Hmm. It's a party it's a party country, it's a party culture. And growing up there, I never participated in it. People are like, what you from trying but but I just I don't know. And I, I, I pay tribute to this for the coaches that I had in my youth career, the older guys that used to always say, like, these things will always be there. And I would hear it over and over, these things will always be there. Your career is one time for a couple of years. Some people last 10 years, some, some will last two years, some will last a couple of months. So you have to give everything for that one opportunity to, to have a career. And um, that's that's the mentality I had all my career. College, and even when I started to play all my career, I was just thinking I would train, i would stay ready, and I knew I would play. Playing where was never, playing was never a question. It was where, because mm-hmm. I always had belief in myself and I always knew that at some point, I'll find something, and I eventually did. So a lot of lessons, as you said, to take away from that.
2: One thing that I kind of noticed from these amazing stories was um, your ability to look on the bright side of any situation and just remain grateful, whether it was the the weather in Buffalo and kind of seeing it for, it was cool that it was different and there was snow and this was something you weren't used to, to this opportunity in Singapore where you immediately think, oh, I'm not going to get anything after spending 1500 Dollars, but hey, I made it to Asia. Is yeah. this something that you kind of continue to to bring into your life? And how important do you think this is for players, coaches, people in our position, just trying to make it
0: in this in this life? Absolutely. Um. Again, I have a lot of friends and even family members that would always tell me, like, why are you. Why you, you never seem like you care? Why you never seem worried about things when things are like really bad? Um, I grew up in a very humble household, right? And I came from a very humble background. Um, I used to make my own cleats. I used to make my own shin guards. Um, of course, it wouldn't last very long. But um, I say all that to say that I always look for a way to get something done. I never think that, you know, things are impossible. And that is because the way I was brought up, the coaches that I had, and I keep saying old school guys, but these are the guys that really made you realize there's more to life than the way you look at it. So when I um, started to play and even going to college and playing overseas and even now, like the first thing I'm always grateful for is the opportunity. And without life, you would have the opportunity. I lost my best friend last year. He was a national team coach and had plans to bring me in to be the assistant coach. And and within, I saw him in December, November, then December, and then February. I got a phone call he, from his phone and then I, one, one day after or two days after, I missed the call. One day after or two days after, passed away. Now, that opened my eyes more. But prior to that, once you have a life, you can recover from anything. No matter how much money you lose. Some people say, you know, you, you, um, you can't get back time. That is true. But you have your life and you have experience that you can learn from. So life is more powerful than death. Always be grateful for the opportunities that you have, that life gave you, because with all those opportunities, you will not be able to live in a, a better way to have a, a positive experience down the road. And that's something that I always took away. And I think here's where it started from, I, I believe. My bringing with coaches was always, like, don't worry. Don't worry. Like, you're always worrying. Things will be okay. Um, There'll be more opportunities. I remember I was 13 years old. And I I had just made the U15 national team pool. And back then, how they would scout for the the national team pool, they had, like, what they call ODP over here. They they had um, centers, Mm -hmm. right? And each center had about 30 players or 40 players in every age group. And they would you would train for like a whole for entire season a couple of months, and then they would pick the top fifteen, and then the top ten, and then top five. So the top fifteen would go into the national center. There was four or five of them. So you, you will have a pool of over fifty players. Then it will cut it to ten, and to five, from every every district or um, states whatever. It was the, we call it zones. Um, and I made it to the last five for my zone to make a national team. And my father, they, 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 called, they called my father and told him, um, you know, back then they had no emails, his phone calls, with them out. So they told him, hey, um just let Fabian, this is so and so the manager so and so tell Fabian Lewis that um he has to report the training at 8 a.m in the Java Center for Excellence. This is the final training session before the team leave for um, friendly games. They were prepared for a tournament. And uh, my father forgot to tell me. So I went to practice with my my club team. I went to practice with my club team. And the coach was like, what happened to you? Why didn't you go to practice? I said, what practice? He said, the final practice was on Saturday. Why didn't you go? I said, I didn't know. He said, they call it that. So when I went home and I, t- and I tell my dad, he said, Oh yes, I forgot to tell you that and blah. He's busy working and trying to provide for the family and whatnot. And he forgot to tell me this. So I started to cry. I went downstairs. I am literally behind a washing machine, it's crying, 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 crying. So He's calling my name to do something upstairs and, and he didn't hear me. He walked downstairs and he see me behind. He's walking around, walking around. And he saw me crying behind the, the washing machine. And of course, being a father, there's no no hug. I'm, oh, God, don't, don't worry. everything. It's none of that. It's like, don't worry, man. Like, why, why are you crying like that? Like, I you really, know, I really made a mistake. I'm sorry. But there'll be more opportunities. Trust me, there'll be more opportunities. Don't worry. I didn't sink in then. But it sunk in a couple days after, and I went on to make the, the under seventeen team. I was in the national uh, under twenty pool. I didn't make that, that the final cut for that. I made the under twenty three Olympic uh, the Olympic team. So, and now I remember he said, "Don't worry. There'll be more opportunities," and that's why I took that lesson from. From a, soccer, from a soccer perspective, missing out on something that he forgot to tell me, and, and generalize it with everything. Everything, like I used to rent before I owned, and uh, I was paying more rent than owning with my mortgage, and I remember me and a friend having a discussion. And and, you know, like, man, that's so much pain, like all the money's going back into rent and blah blah. I was like, yeah, don't worry. That will last forever. And that's just how I I guess was formed. I guess that was a turning point in my life, you know, it's just just who I am. I don't worry about about a lot of things. yeah, in my life, what I want to mean I don't worry about it. I don't mean doesn't mean I don't care. I do care. But when things don't go my way, I don't like it bother me. To the point where it takes me down. I try to find a way to make it happen. And that's that's how I've always been. Um and that's 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 how I am right now with everything that I do. I always try to find a, a, a pathway to to navigate myself into a positive in a positive environment. So, yeah, um, that's something else I would advise young players. Like, you know, don't not because you see your friend got picked to be in the MLS draft means it's the end of the world for you. Don't worry, there's 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 a place for you. You just have to go and look for it. But there's a place for you. I promise you. Once you once you are true to the game, you're loyal to the game. And when I mean loyal to the game and true to the game, I mean you're paying your, your dues, you're training every day, you're humble, you're hunting. You will find a place to play, without a doubt. Without a doubt. There's many, many leagues, many, many countries, many teams, but you have to be, you have to be that type of personality that. I'll eventually get it. And I'm, I'm not giving up. I'll eventually get it. And and even to this day, right now, my aspirations as a as a person is, is very big. I always think very very big. And sometimes people think, "Oh, you're not going to achieve that." But I still think it. I wanted to play in a World Cup. I had it written on a piece of paper, and I create an email address to reflect when I will play in a World Cup. There was a World Cup that year that Trinidad and Tobago played in. It's mind blowing. You know, so speak life to what you want is a big part of of getting it. It's huge, believe it or not. Write it on a paper, look at it, remind yourself, wear a t-shirt that that have it written down or email address to remind you. And eventually, it will come, but don't, 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 don't stress over things that you don't have control over, because you're worrying about things that you can never control. Yeah. So that, was, that would be my recommendation to young players.
1: I mean, so so much wisdom with that, and uh, I know out of respect for your time, you you had to get going soon. But is that what gave you? I mean, all of this and your career. Um, Is that what gave you the idea to to start something like Soccer Pass to help uh, young players kind of make their own career? Uh, Like myself, you got my career started. um, Yeah, and I've taken a bunch from you, but I know many other players have also done the same thing with you.
0: Absolutely. So um, growing up, again, I keep from a very humble background, right? Um, But there was many opportunities. I remember there was... um, the David Beckham camp in Trinidad. It was 50 US. That's a lot of money back then. You know, 50 US could feed your family for a month. You know, my dad wasn't going to give me $50 for, for a couple of days of a camp, right? Um, I missed out on, on that opportunity, but there was many more. There was international trips. When I spent five in quality coaching school, there was international trips going to Miami and a lot of my friends on the team and in my village that I played with, they went on the trip. I didn't. Um, there was other uh, international opportunities that I just, you know, my dad didn't see these opportunities as life-changing. He saw going to school, getting an education, getting a job, having a family, more important. And that is very important. You know, the knowledge I have right now about life, and if I was to have kids, I wouldn't send my kids to, to university just to get a degree. I would send them to school to be an entrepreneur, to learn how to manage a business, to learn how to, how to invest your money, because your money in a bank is, is depreciating. When you factor in inflation, you're taking your money and you invest in your money, but the value of your money is actually, what you could get for your money in 10 years, I rather put my money in an index fund and let, let, it, let it give me eight, 9% return. So, so I'm saying like what my dad saw back then is what he knew. What I know now is very different. The opportunities that I didn't get is because my dad wanted the best for me and he didn't see soccer being the best for me until I made the U17 national team and I got the scholarship and I traveled to the world. Then he said, wow, he backed off. He really did back off. So I had to come to some games, quality, all the things going on, things like that. But soccer pass w- was um, motivated by, by giving players opportunities. I didn't have those opportunities for multiple reasons. I didn't have it. So I wanted to create a platform to provide players with their pass to, to different things. Um, youth ID camps pro ID camps professional opportunities um, international experiences through like youth youth teams traveling overseas and and playing against um, different countries um, summer camps um, mentorship um, just everything that soccer related that you can think about I wanted to provide players with an opportunity and it wasn't it wasn't something that uh, I was new to. I was doing this before soccer pass was 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 really formed. I was doing this way back in Trinidad. I didn't know I was doing it, but this was my calling. When I was in Trinidad, it's some, it, it have a saying that we say, um, Lincoln, 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 Lincoln. When you hear somebody say, Dylan, Sean, Lincoln, Lincoln. It means put me on. Mm. So anytime we're talking to that channel I did and he said, link, link me. He means put me on. And I look back now and I, I was putting on all my friends to everything. When I got my scholarship, I paved the way for five, 10, 15 other guys to get scholarships for my school, for my community. It's like, you know, palm, call my coach, hey, coach, I'm a player for you. You know, when I went on to play, I was the first player to play in to play in Singapore. The second to play no, the, the third to play in Asia. So I started to put on other players. Like there was three or four of them that came and I was that wasn't was in, was in a, um Singapore with me. And then they started venturing out. One of them, you know, Sean, when you met him in Mongolia, opening in Mongolia, mm-hmm. he was the one that put you on. Yeah. So, you know, we kind of just was like, Linking people. It was just like, let's, you know, putting people on because we didn't have the opportunity. And, and, and the motivation was nothing else but let's give other people an opportunity. It was nothing else. There was a phone call, and all of a sudden, that person became more than a friend. That person became a lifelong brother because that person went into a field that you never thought he would be in. Lawyers doctors, mechanic, all of a sudden he's like, you know what? You had my back. You go to that person now and it's like, without even asking, yo, that person was a good person to me. I'm going to return it to him. And we didn't think about it like that. But that's life cycle. You do good, it will come back to you. You ne- I never understood it that way. I never understand the way it was just given. It was just given. So, Stock soccer pass was just was just a uh, form on on the principle of 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 providing opportunities and given given back. And literally, that's what we do. And if I, I mean, not to get into, into things like uh, in too much details, but a lot of the things that we do is pretty much run like a non profit. Like you know, we don't. We don't um I would say a non-profit, more like um uh donations. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't is the motivation is not like to maximize to maximize profit. It's more like to make the event happen and to put players on. Mm-hmm. Most important. Uh, a lot of times, I, I would say parents come back to me. I got an email up to last night. We did a trip with some young with a young team um back in July prior over COVID we did too I got an email up to last night from a parent thanking me for the opportunity and how much it changed his son's life up to last night things that happened two years ago and that's what made me feel like yeah right you know so I didn't have that I didn't have opportunities like that or somebody that you know, that's why I'm so close to my to my coaches in Trinidad. Like when I go back home, I have to check them, I have to see them. Because as hard as they were on me, they were truth, they were truthful and they were honest. And for me, at the time it might have been brutally honest, but I rather be brutally honest than to give comfort lies. And I think now we live in a society where there's a lot of comfort lies, especially in soccer in America. There's a lot of choking our backs and telling people things that they want to hear versus telling the truth. But soccer pass, the principle, the foundation of soccer pass has given opportunities and, and being real to those opportunities, providing real opportunities to, to players, but being brutally honest to them as well. Like This, hey, this is what it's going to be like. Take it or leave it. Okay, I'll take it. Okay. I'll leave it. No problem. And that's that's what it was.
1: Love it. I love that. And like you said, with that email you received yesterday, there's there's no financial amount that can, yes, can, yes, yes. can get even close to that feeling.
0: Absolutely, man. Like, that is what makes you feel motivated a do bit more.
1: Exactly.
0: Like, like, you know, like, like you, um you just have that inspiration to keep on going. And and I, and I always tell people, and it's the truth, I really do this for, as a hobby. I, I enjoy doing it. I really, I really do enjoy doing it. When you get those emails or a phone call or even being here, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to, to be here on this podcast and really happy to see you guys playing and doing really well. Because I remember, <clears throat> I remember Dylan, you had come with Sean when you did the ID camp with Bo and Marty, and I, know you went on to play in Australia afterwards, mm-hmm. right? And then from there, you ended up in Germany, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm just really happy. That's to just the touch. Um, and, and to connect with people that would have went on to do great things, but you would have met them somewhere in their path or helped them in some way, some form or some fashion. And and for me, that's that's what that's what's driving me right now. Is is just them lifelongs, lifelong friendship, brotherhood that you know you would go to agree with men, literally. Yeah, yeah. Oh.
2: couldn't agree more.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I mean. Um, Um, I'm thankful for that we've kind of making our way um, into providing more opportunities for players. Um, You know, I always have very honest conversation with players. Um, I get a lot of DMs or Facebook messages, and it's random. A player will just send a a video. And I'm like, are you serious? You just send a video, like... What do you want me to do with that? No introduction, no. So he's, he's going around telling hundreds, whoever else. Um, but I want players to know this. Don't go about this doing, doing it the wrong way. Establishing a, a network involves actually connecting, and connecting involves a formal introduction with a level of respect. But that's important. People will take you more serious when you do it the right way. You write them an email or a DM, but you introduce yourself in a professional way, in a respectful way. You explain what you're doing and why you want to do it. You quickly get a response from an agent or even from a, from a friend. Someone who probably don't even know you from of the world and you want to go play in, he probably said, and that would that would touch him. And say, you know what, this person' song's professional. I can put my name out for this person just the way he he approached me. So first impression is a lasting impression. Very important. Second thing, I always wanted to let players know. With Soccer Pass, we provide opportunities. We recently sent a player over to to Germany, um, in the Oberliga. There's more players that we will be sending sh- shortly, but it's not for everybody, right? And what I mean by that is this: I could only do so much. The reality of it is, the ball is in your court. Number one, you have to be willing to to, to make the sacrifice, to prepare yourself, to make sure you're training, you're, you're healthy your focus, um, and the your overall preparedness is, is there. Being willing to invest in yourself because nobody will invest in you because nobody knows the value of you more than you value yourself. And if you don't value yourself more than what people value you, you will stay sitting down on a couch, watching Instagram videos, and message about from Lou and highlights for the rest of your career. So you have to be willing to invest in yourself and that comes from valuing yourself more than anybody else. Think high about yourself. That's very important. Now, on the other side, it's a very, very doggy dog industry. You know, and cut industry. And the reason why I say it's not for everyone, if you're not someone that can take I want it to say take because I don't want you to take anything. You might have to, to hear it, but don't take it and accept it. But if you can't hear someone saying no to you or, or being negative to you and saying this, you are not what I'm looking for, you're not in my plans. Excuse me, then this is not for you. If you're not willing to take your last one thousand dollars to invest it in yourself that can change your life, then this is not for you. Because these are the things that you have to be willing to do. I had a contract on the table for a player Mexico third division. Um so it's below the Ascenso um, MX, which is premier a Premier R. The team is vying Promotion to Ascenso MX, which is below the Liga MX. All all three professional leagues. The coach and I I met him when I was in Mexico. At the time, he was at, uh, a team called Interplier. They were fourth tier, and we, we remained friends. He came over here, we did some work together, and blah, blah. And um, he reached out to me. He said, Fabian, remember that, that center back that you sent me? Is he still available? I said, yeah. I said, let me make a America phone call. Call the guy. Guy's still available. Message, message the coach. Yes, he's still available. Okay, here's what you want. I want you to fly over here tomorrow. I'll pick him from the airport. i take him, blah, blah. Um, this is what we can offer him. If we're gonna play one game, if he's a real deal, we'll sign him right away. The player told me that um, the amount that they offered, which I think was like about eight hundred dollars, is not enough. It was, it was his first contract in a country that have a high level of of football, with a high level of coaches one of the coaches today that everybody knows as famous, Pep Guardiola, he spent some years in, a year in in, uh, in in Mexico where he, I would say, transformed his, his uh, coaching intelligence, his coaching IQ. Helped his attacking um, concept of the game. Along with, of course, with Spain. The Italian side probably helped his defensive side. But, um, The guy said the salary wasn't enough for him to leave the U.S. Never played professionally before. Never played in college before. Let me start over. Never played in college before. Never played professionally before. Have no opportunities. Came to me and told me that he wants to be a professional. A coach is asking to see you. For one game pick it from the airport, play the game the next day, and you're saying that this is not why you leave the US. So then you're serious. Now, on one hand, I understand why players want to put a quote-unquote, a number sign. That That is the part that makes you feel emotionally happy. It's part of the emotional happiness. I'm making $3,000 a month. I'm making $4,000 a month. But everyone is not going to start there. And everyone is not going to receive that amount at, at the, in their career or at the beginning of the career. But part of the emotional happiness, emotional connection to the game, is also playing professionally, learning, and growing. And when that happens, your emotional level increases. Your confidence rises. You start feeling invincible. You start being hungry for more. And you start playing better. When you start playing better, you start opening more eyes when they start opening more eyes, you start attracting more dollar signs. And that's how emotional level happiness rises. So, you know, with soccer pass, with the players that come to us, I try to be honest with them so that they know what they're getting into. And I make them make the decision. And if they want it, no problem. If they don't, no problem. I know what I wanted. And I did what I what I, what I I would do. And if I had to do it again, I would do it again. Eyes closed, no problem. No problem. In fact, I would have probably invested more. I probably would have gone overseas more often than I did back then than I did now, recently when I, when I retired because now I realize how much I missed. I'm like, man. In Southeast Asia, the market is a big market, a huge market, and I didn't know of it until I went there. You know, so um, if you're not willing to take ch- a chance in yourself, nobody will take a chance on you because there's too many players, not enough teams, and in order for you to get out there and be and be seen, you have to invest in yourself. Of course with some um calculations I'm not telling you just to go somewhere blindly and to go in the middle of nowhere but um you have to you have to be willing to to take a chance on yourself because nobody else will take a chance on you and that's with everything in, in life it's not just soccer that's just life period yeah you know, so yeah boys I hope I hope um you guys are uh, continuing to inspire other players by sharing this information and also mm-hmm. by you know linking them.
1: Yeah, uh, link. what's the saying again? Link me? Link,
0: link, like like uh like L I N K. Yeah, we, yeah. But yeah,
1: let me say, say like, it in the Trinidadian accent. Yeah,
0: like link <laughs> me, link me link me.
1: Link <laughs> me, link. Like man. Link, link me, we
0: say meh, me, yeah, meh, me, link me, link me. Link me. Yeah, li- link me, link me, yeah. Same time yes, yeah, you say link I- me, link me. That's footwork. Know,
1: the, That's why we started yeah, this.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. so a link, my link, man. So put me on, put me on.
1: Yeah. yeah. All right, Fabian. Thank you. Thank you again for taking this conversation. I know uh, we did go over your your time, uh, your time out, but that was, I mean, there's I so much stop, I couldn't stop conversation. him. I just wanted to hear it. Yeah, I I yeah. Like, At points, I felt like I was watching like an amazing movie. <laughs> no,
0: it was, it was, it was very good to be here, boys. I, again, I'm very happy and grateful to be here. Um I want you guys to keep doing what you're doing. What you're doing is, is great. Um, education is key. Giving information is important. When I grew up, there was an Instagram. Um, you know, a lot of the younger players have that now. You know, so you guys are making a huge impact, not just to people that are in your circle, but by the world, because anyone can find you. Anyone can hear these things. And I think this is so crucial to, to help and pave the, the way for a players. So keep doing what you're doing. Um, you're you doing you do an amazing job. And if you're anything else I can do to help you guys, let me know.
2: Appreciate, Appreciate that. You. so much.
0: No problem, no problem. Thank you. And good you luck with you in the nice season.
1: Okay, thank you, Fabian. Thank you, Fabian.
0: All right. Thank you, guys. Footwork is sponsored by ourselves.
2: Also, Kong Fitness and Merchant Designs, baby. Follow us on Instagram at Footwork underscore podcast twitter is at footwork podcast youtube and facebook just check out footwork podcast search it email us if you need anything any questions at footwork podcast at gmail.com and remember plug plug pass tell your parents amazon delivery guy mailman i don't know who just tell them like subscribe review all of it helps danke